So we are carrying on with our vision series, um, and the reason we're doing this, we do this once a year, I, I believe vision drips into everything we do, but it's, uh, we're taking once a year to, to paint a picture of what we want to see as a community. And uh, Starla preached so well two weeks ago about having a vision for your life. I've, I've been speaking about having a vision. We're gonna, we've been talking about our local church vision. And one of the key visions of what we want to see as a community, as we hear, is we want to see people who are followers of Jesus. Mother Teresa said, I have never said no to God. Amazing. She was a woman used powerfully. And we went to an exhibition while we were in um, Spain, and there was a whole thing about her, and it was just how she would stand there in the place of suffering, and she'd literally smell rotting bodies and be rescuing people, and she's like, I'm never going to say no to Jesus. And she just said simple acts of yes, 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 God. And I think that's the key in being a follower of Jesus, is learning to say yes, not wait, maybe tomorrow, uh, whatever excuse we can come up with, Jesus, he, he, he puts an immediacy on us. When he is calling his disciples, he doesn't go, okay, will, will you follow me, but just maybe tomorrow. He says, no, let the dead bury their dead. Let it carry on. Follow me now, today. And uh, we have to, there has to be something in my heart about following Jesus in a radical, radical way. We live in a society that wants to dim down any form of radicalism, which obviously we don't want the negative, but we can, we can be a positive, radical people for Jesus. Baptisms is the first step in obedience. Jesus says, do it. It doesn't, there's no compromise. There's not, uh, it says believe and be baptized. And I love that there's uh, Megan, the young girl, was probably part of our church when she was like three, four years old, and now she's much older. I don't know how old she is now. But amazing. She's getting, she's getting baptized today. I think there's eight or nine people being baptized. That's incredible. That is the first act of obedience. So Ephesians 3 verse 10 says this, God's purpose. So if you ever want to know what God's ultimate purpose is, it's obviously to save us from sin and, and all of that stuff, but it's, it's set out in, uh, in Ephesians. It says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church, which is you and me, the church throughout centuries, the ecclesia, as the Greek calls it, the called out ones, to display His wisdom in a rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. There is things we don't see that is happening around us right now. It's all throughout the Bible. We, can, we think, oh, there's just this stuff happening on earth. What, is, what generally is happening on earth is a reflection of what is happening in the heavenly realms. There's, there's, there's demonic powers. There's stuff over different regions that is reality. But it says that through the church, it says, this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. So you have these beings that we don't see, that somehow have control in some ways, a limited control, because ultimately God is fully in control. But God's going to use man and, and partnering with us, the church, to display his wisdom to the heavenly realms. That is why we disciple people. We don't do it so people can try to conform to a way of thinking, or don't do things, or do things, and be good, and don't be bad. That's a small view of what actually discipleship is. Discipleship is us becoming like Jesus. Jesus was the firstborn of many sons. There's many sons and daughters. We put our faith in him. We get saved by him. We become like him and we can do the things that he did. And I love that Emma stood up here. She's been at the church for a while. She's walked through a journey in God. She's come to this point and saying, I can do this. I love her one line. She said, uh, what did you say? 
that doesn't sit right with me. That's what a calling is. It's something that doesn't sit right with you. And you say, God wants to partner with man to show his greatness to the heavenly beings. We think they're above man, but God puts his spirit inside of us and we'll be able to change the earth. What an incredible thing. That, it, it's just, it blows my mind. Bruce and I were talking about it yesterday. It's just like, you know that emoji with your head exploding? Like that's the only way you can f- feel sometimes when you read scripture in its entirety. It says in Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now therefore go. Not just one or two of us. The church. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. We need to bring fatherhood back People don't understand where the Father is. Um, I'll prophesy someone over later because I think it's a bit more private. Uh, baptizing the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is, that is the call and destiny of people who follow Jesus. And, uh, and I, it's a journey that we're on. But Jesus doesn't almost give us the luxury of giving us a journey. He's like, surrender your life now. Jesus would say two words, follow me. So if tax collectors to zealots, which were um, the terrorists of the day, they would just throw everything away and they would follow Jesus. And so often we like, okay, I'll follow Jesus if it's convenient for me, if it's the right time. Once my kids get to university, we have a bit more time on our hands, then I can follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't give us that luxury. And we're going to read a scripture now that is going to offend you because it offended me. Everything in technology right now is about us following something. If I had to shout hamburger into my phone, guaranteed, there's going to be an advert for a hamburger on Instagram later. I can, I can, it just happens. How many of you have been on a phone call and you're speaking about some type of food, and then you see the advert, you're like, that's just crazy. I don't like it. It invades my privacy, but it is real, and I do like to know where hamburgers are. So, that's, so it kind of it's, it, it works for me. I don't care. They can go look through all my emails. It doesn't bother me. Um, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I think that the modern church, and I can include ourselves in this in some ways, we haven't done a great job of, of, of telling people what it means to follow him. Jesus recruits people with the worst case scenario. He says, if you follow me, you're going to have to give up everything. Let your family look after their family. Throw everything down and follow me. There's something of that I believe God wants to recapture the church. And and, and do you know what that means? It means laying down a whole bunch of stuff that we love that Jesus doesn't love. Everything is set up for those. Okay, let me start the scripture. Let's uh, go to Luke 14, verse 25. Luke 14, 25. Is that it? There it is. A large crowd was following Jesus. We live in a day and age where people want followers. it, It is what it is. And I love when people do have social media accounts and they use it to better other people's lives, and that's great. But I had a, I had a pastor follow me the other day, and it's like he had about 5,000 followers or whatever it was. So I was like, wow, this guy's following me. Like, kind of. And then I went and looked. Once I'd actually accepted, yes, that he can follow me, he unfollowed me. So he just did it so I would follow him. And that's what people do. They, just, they obviously pay people to just sit and, and like do, I don't know how it works, maybe there's some kind of mechanism. But here's the thing. We live in a world that if we had a large crowd following us, we would think something of ourselves. Kyra's got quite a few. I'm going to pick on Kyra again because I did in the first meeting. I haven't even got it yet, actually. So there we go. Um, she has quite a few followers. Those who follow her, she makes ferment, fermenter stuff. I was saying in the first meeting that she rots cheese. She doesn't. She makes... 
She makes fermented stuff, but not, guys, not the fermented stuff you're thinking of. It's, it's actual stuff that's good for you. Uh, it's kombucha and what else do you make? Like chili sauce and a whole bunch of other things. But she's got quite a few followers. Imagine, she said, listen, I am now at uh, Cheesecake Factory. I don't know if, you know if she'll eat there because it's not probably healthy enough and it's got GMO and all that stuff in it. Um, but she'll, imagine she said, I'm eating her lunch and all thousand plus of her followers all had to come and stand around her and see if her salmon is good as she's saying it is. She would think, oh wow, I've actually got quite a bit of influence. Jesus does the opposite. He says, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, I'm going to read this off my phone just because I have a bit more flow. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. I love that. In the NLT, it's just, it's obviously Jesus is using hyperbole, he's using exaggeration to get his point across, but we mustn't forget the point. Let's not dim down the point of what Jesus was trying to say. Your father, your mother, your wife and your children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. There's one of the f- first ways that God reveals himself, he says, I'm a jealous God. And what does he mean by that? In those days, they had idols that the people of Israel used to follow when they were in Egypt. He says, you do not follow those idols anymore because I'm a jealous God. And it's not like a childish jealousy. It's like, I want all of your affection. And that's why when we get saved, God starts to put, highlight some things in our lives and says, actually, that thing's not good. Lay it down. I've got to a place now in my journey with God and saying, God, would you search me and find me? If it, David writes, he says, if there's any wicked way in me, would you search it out? I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to carry a testimony into my old age. I want to be faithful to one wife. I want to, I want to lead a church faithfully. I want to do what God has told me to do faithfully. I want to be like Mother Teresa and I don't think I have been at all. I want, I don't want to say no to Jesus. I don't want to say no to him. His work is too good. His work is too important for me to delay it for something else or something later. Imagine we wrote on our plugged in sheets when we do plugged in. Guys, you can join our church if you hate your family. You are inconvenienced. Uh, you're going to have to sell everything and give it for him. Imagine we did that. I th- I, honestly, I don't think we'd have a church. Because I think what happens in modern day church is that we, there's, there's churches in the States, we haven't done it, but we take polls to see what suits people. We're like, is it hot? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Is the drums working? Aren't they working? I mean, the first half I didn't hear the drums, but the second half we did. Thank you, Lord. Um, but it's like, it's too loud. It's too soft. People are like, and then people think that church is about their convenience and their thing and how they make them feel. Now, obviously, I want, to, I want someone who doesn't believe in Jesus to walk in there, feel welcome. But we cannot dim down what it means to follow Jesus. It means everything. And I, I would love to stand here and say, listen, I've got this right. I don't. I'm on a journey just like you. We're figuring it out. And do not have figured it out with Jesus. He sometimes takes the things that we really like and he says, that's not a good idea. And I think that's a heart testing thing, first of all. But God also has something better for us. He says that he's going to lead us to life and life abundantly. And we want the things that the enemy is giving us, which actually are going to steal, kill and destroy us. So that's, Jesus sees the bigger picture, we see the small picture, we're like, I want to do this. Jesus is saying, it has to change. God, but I love hamburgers. I'm going to give you quinoa burgers. No, I don't know if he's going to do that. 
Jesus at every turn tells you what it's going to cost you to follow him. So my first point is this. Discipleship could cost relationships, could cost you relationships. Luke 14 verse 26. If you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus is not contradicting himself. He's for family. He's for honoring your mother and father. That's in in the New Testament. But what he's saying, by comparison, if that becomes more important than me, that, that has to be laid aside. And I've seen people who've put family gatherings, family holidays, family things above the call of God and they... It's, honestly, they just get there, stagnate and go nowhere. Because what they're doing is that they're making an idol of something that was never meant to be an idol. It's a created thing. That is what happened in the Old Testament. They, they created something and they bowed down and worshipped it. And that can become our family, our future, and our finances. It may cost you. Dubai for me is, is if you look at the, the parable of the sowing of the seed, and, and Jesus says a man went out to sow seed one day. Some fell on the path. The birds lifted it up. Some fell on the rocky area. It was in shallow ground. It was scorched by the sun. Some fell amongst the thorns. And as they grew, they were choked up by the thorns. And all three of those are pictures of what I believe people in Dubai are like. They may come in, but if it gets a little bit too tough, maybe there's a little bit of shallowness, and they're like, God, I know I need to follow you, but I also love all the other stuff that I do. And you're, just, you're having these two paths that you keep fighting and where to go. I can tell you, whatever you feed the most is where you're going to follow. It just, it just happens like that. You can be redeemed, saved, set free by the blood of the Lamb, etc. You can proclaim every scripture under the sun, but if your heart is not in obedience to Jesus, you're not going to see any power behind that. Because obedience is, where, is the good stuff. It's where the power is. And I said in the first minute, it's like the secret. It's the secret source. It's the thing that if we just learn to obey, we, everything else follows from that place. First of all, I'd like to this. Who says this? Who recruits people by giving them the absolute negative? It's Jesus. Because he doesn't want you to join to his army and then, and then there's blessings that are coming and it's, oh, this is amazing and God, you're so good. I feel so good. The Holy Spirit's filled me and that's amazing and we need those moments and we're sitting in church and someone's blessed you with 200 dirhams and you're like, oh, wow, God, praise God. And, and then all of a sudden persecution and tough times come and you're like, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for the good stuff. God, give me prosperity. Let me proclaim it. And when we go through a season of toughness and a season where we're not seeing the usual blessing that we possibly could be seeing, we think Satan is attacking us. I can tell you nine out of ten times it's not. It's God is teaching you something through that moment. Because Jesus says in this life you're going to have troubles. But what did Jesus say? I've overcome the troubles. You're going to have tough moments. Jesus signs you up into his army and he basically just says, it's going to be incredibly tough, but the payoff is way bigger than you can ever imagine. We love to quote the end of scriptures where it's like, God's going to bless me, but you don't see all the other stuff that that goes through that. He's not mad if you have money. He's not mad if your kids go to good schools. He's not mad, but he says, when it comes down to it, is that thing more important than me? And that's, that's the biggest resolve I think we need to have in our hearts. And do you know when that's tested? It's when you get to that situation. It's not like you can say it now, of course, God, it's all yours. And then you get to that situation, and it's really tough. What happened with Abraham? He was given a son. 
this promised son waited years and years and years and years for the son, got the son, God says, go sacrifice him. Of course God doesn't want him to kill his son, but God was testing Abraham's heart. And Abraham passed, and a ram was found in the thicket, and the, Abraham, and the ram was, was slain. And obviously that's a picture of Jesus, father being God, Abraham being God, the son being his son. But that, it's just like, are you willing to give up everything for me? And I think that's what Jesus always asks us. Are we willing to give up? Ooh, just jumped a few pages. Sorry. In 2001, I came back to God. And, uh, and it, was, it was a powerful moment, and I encountered God in such a powerful way. But I had this thing where I knew I had to give up on certain friendships. I was, in a, I was in a pretty good band. If you're 17 and you're in a band, it means a lot of things. It means you're cool without even trying. It means that I didn't really have girlfriends. I was just the shyest person in the world. But I was cool otherwise. Um, but I felt God saying, I want you to give that up. And I was like, oh, that's so tough. And I even like, I, I was hanging out with my friends, going partying every weekend. And God says, but so he did this and he spoke to me. And he does it so gently and so kind, but with authority. He's like, what are you doing with your life? And I slowly began to give these things up. And my friends understood. They may, I don't think they understood fully, but we ended up starting another band that, that became way more well-known than I could have ever dreamed of the band that I had before. But I was willing to lay down something for the greater. And that is how God always, always works. Can I say this? I, I'm gonna, I went out the other night with a bunch of friends. Um, these guys I hadn't seen in maybe 20 years. The one guy I hadn't seen in 22 years. So that means I saw him when I was one years old. Um, no, I'm 35 now, so we, have a, we do work that out. So 12, 13, I hadn't seen him. Um, and then the other guy I hadn't seen, like, we, we kind of bumped into each other, and we thought, oh, we're just going to have a little bit of a reunion. And... Uh, and I was sitting with these guys, and, and something hit me in that moment, and I, I was like, Dan, you're not as strong as you think you are. So I've been following Jesus for, I got it wrong in the first meeting, say so 17 to 20 years, following after him, pursuing him, thinking I'm going to be strong, thinking if I'm faced with crazy temptation that I'm just going to just run out of there, I'm going to preach the gospel, they're going to, you know. I'm sitting there, and if I didn't have, A, the, the, the conviction in my heart around drinking too much alcohol, and I didn't, and I wasn't leading a church, and I didn't tell my wife to come at 9.30, I was very susceptible to falling. I was like, wow, why is the pull to this so strong? I, like, and I, it got, almost got me unawares. I was like, and I was just grateful that Starla picked me up, and I, I was fine, so you don't have to worry about your pastor, you know? Um, <laughs> but she got me out of there. But uh, the, the crazy thing is that the, these guys bought these like big kegs and they're like, oh, they must be for another party. Downstairs. No, like this, the, these dudes bought it for us. And then they went to the beer pong table. I'm like, started, get here now. They're starting to play beer pong. And then anyway, she came just at the right time. And uh, Anyway, but the point is this. You're not as strong as you think you are. When you go, when business people who travel alone, you're not as strong as you think you are. Who goes to the edge of sin and quickly t- just dips the toe in and steps out. I can guarantee you that every single male that's standing at the, right, at the wrong place at the wrong time will fall for anything. And we need to be real about that. We need to understand that we need our brothers around us. We need to have people that are a phone call away. 
that if you're, and also can I, don't make a plan once you're in the situation. Make a plan outside of the situation. Make a plan before you get there. Because we are all susceptible to temptation. And the thing is, everyone has different temptations. Some of you have maybe alcohol. Some of you have maybe, I'm talking to men now. It's cool. Like this is an extension of the men's camp, uh, men's weekend. Maybe alcohol, maybe girls, whatever it is, know your weakness. Because if you don't know your weakness, you'll fall for that. Is that good? I've got a friend, Jake Isaac. Some of you may know him. He's come to our church a few times. He's a definitely 100% bona fide rock star. He's just cool. He's got like a deep voice and, uh, and uh, man crush. Slut. <laughs> just kidding. Um, he's a good friend of ours and he's come a few times. But when he travels around, uh, he goes around Europe a lot and the UK and America. Whenever he goes on tour, he has a team of people around him who are all Christians People have known him for a very long time. They know his wife. They know his child. Because they're keeping him accountable in, to- in moments when I'm sure it's incredibly tough around temptation. He's put stuff in place so he will not fall. David didn't do that. David was peering over the ledge and going, oh. well, all the other kings were out toward, the Bible says, he was peering over the ledge. And he was looking and he was watching a girl bathe. And he, it's, like, it's like ancient pornography, basically. He was, he was peering, peering across, and what he ended up doing was falling for that. And he ended up killing someone, and it, just, it was just a really tough moment in his life. But he, he led himself to that place. Jake was here about three years ago, and he, put, um, he, he met up with Ed Sheeran. Just thought I'd just kind of drop that name out there. I met him. This hand touched him. Ed Sheeran got a tattooed right there. Um... He's a lot shorter than I'd imagine, actually. If we're, if we're, if we're down to it, I'd probably beat him in a fight. Like, <laughs> it's like the only thing I had on him, you know what I mean? I was slightly bigger than him. And um, very cool. Anyway, beside the point. So he asked Jake to go out afterwards for just to this club. And Jake says, She's done, this is hard. I know I'm ministering the next day. And Sal and I were like, no, you need to go because you need to be a light. And he actually ended up ministering to people in the car who came with, spoke to people's marriages. It was amazing. He stood out as a light in that dark place. And, uh, but he said to me, he says, Dan, I need, we need to make a pickup time. So I said, cool, I'll pick you up at 2.30. You're going to get at least four hours sleep. You can get up in the morning, and then you can still preach at our church. He says, cool. 2.30, he comes walking out. And we're ready, and we took home. Um, he hadn't drunk at much at all. He, had, like, he said he was giving shots the whole night. He'd like, be throwing them around, you know? <laughs> And um, he stood out. There was something different. And like he ended up having this moment with, with Ed Sheeran. I'll just call him Ed for short because that's what we do. <laughs> and ended up having this moment with, with Ed Sheeran where it was just this, like just a, a deep connecting time. And you just think, wow. He, but if Jake went there and just got absolutely plastered with him, how would he be able to speak into his life? Now, I don't know if Ed knows him knows he's a Christian or not, but he's able to be the salt and light in a dark place because he's not willing to compromise on things that he holds dear. And I think that's what it means to follow Jesus. We may, need, we may lose relationships. We may lose things that are close to us. But if, it's, if it gets in the way of my relationship with Jesus, it's nothing. I want him, and I want him all. Discipleship will cost you convenience. Following Jesus will cost you convenience. 
It's, it's, it was never meant to be easy. And if you look at it, it says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. In those days, there was, they would carry a beam across their shoulders that was, that was showing that they were going to be crucified, basically ultimately being led to death. So what Jesus is saying, he said, carry a cross every day because there may come a moment where you have to die to self. You may have to die to your desires. That's why the world is saying, and we watched two TV shows over the past couple of days, it says, yo, you've got your truth. I really promoted her truth. So everyone has their own independent truth of what they believe truth is. That's where the world is going. I want to be this. I want to do that. This is my truth. No one can tell me what to do. There's an independent truth called Jesus, the Word of God, that actually, it offends us often at times, but it shapes us into the person that we're meant to be all along. It'll cost us our convenience. There was a guy... Um, his name is Mark Marks, and he, he started a thing called Healing on the Streets about 15, 20 years ago in a small little town in Northern Ireland called Coleraine. And uh, when he was being interviewed, the guy interviewing him said to him, listen, you are like the most shy, introverted person I've ever met. He says, how do you go into the streets, lead people to Jesus? How many of you have ever done that before? That is hard, honestly. Tara, you're a bit of an evangelist. It's probably easier for you, but it is, it is hard. I'm like, I'll be staring at the guy. This is just awkward. I feel like I'm just giving him bumper stickers, Christian bumper stickers, and it's just not working. And Anyway, and uh, this guy, he said, he, he said basically he, he, leads, uh, he leads people on the streets. I think he's led thousands of people to Jesus. He's seen people healed on the streets. And he says, how do you do it? He says, every time he gets up, he says, he, he confesses over himself that he's basically dying to self. Because his desire is to go sit at home, be introverted, and he doesn't need friends, but God is calling him to obedience. And he says he wants you to be closer to God than he could ever imagine. And he started to do that, and he realized that he has to get over himself to see the glory of God come. And that, that is honestly where I believe everything changes. When we learn to just die to ourselves, die to our desires, which is hard in a city like this. But once we learn to do that, God's power pours on us, and we begin to find our destiny calling inconvenience. It's inconvenient coming to church. Let's be honest. Most of us would want to sleep in on a Friday. Well done for arriving. You got a badge. It's inconvenient. My will, my way. It was inconvenient for Stala and I to live separately when we were dating. It was uh, difficult. Stala lived in a little, let's just call it a rat house. There was huge rats. And you know, if you know her, she hates anything like that. It's just she, like, she just goes, ah, freaks out. And then I'm also like, ah. So we, we don't help each other. I just take, I take the spray and I spray anything until the thing eventually dies. And then, um, but she stayed in this, in this rat place. Um, I, I stayed far away. It's the only thing that Starla could afford at that stage. And, um, and the, the crazy thing is that it was inconvenient to, to say goodbye to her, drop her off at her house, and then me drive again. It would have been easier to save on rent. We could have shared a place. But it was a conviction that we had in our hearts. A, because I don't trust myself. John Mayer said it. I don't trust myself with loving you. Anyway. And uh, that is for free. So those of you who, when I fade out of a conversation, that's where I'm generally going. I'm going to a song in my mind. Anyway. So, I mean, so I didn't trust myself with her, and to be honest, Starla couldn't keep her hands off me. It was, uh, I don't blame her, I was a lot thinner back then. And, uh, 
But the thing is, a little confession. I confessed in the first meeting. I'm going to confess it again. There was one night where I had to stay over, but we stayed in separate rooms. I stayed in the lounge on a little couch, locked the door, put a chair in front of the door. Because I never know if Sada's going to come and knock, uh, knock down the door. And then I'm like, ah, get away from me. Um, it was inconvenient. But I can tell you, we honored God before marriage, and, he, and God has honored us in marriage. And can I say, those who've had a, a different past to that, don't feel judged or condemned, but you have within your power right now to change things. You can say, God, okay, cool, we're dating, but I'm going to make a decision right now. Even if we're living together, let's stop living together. Let's, let's be radical in this. Come speak to one of the elders, say, actually, maybe we need to get married. We've been living together for ages. We do feel we're the right thing. We can organize it at, at different embassies. We can organize it up the road at uh, the Jebelali Church. We can organize it. That, for me, is there's, there's steps of obedience. We can go, start to see God flooding into your life. How many of you know that you like some stuff that God doesn't? Do you want to raise your hands if that's you? There's some, and the problem is this, that you liked it before you met Jesus. The craving is still there, but now you're not allowed to do it. Now it's hot. The craving doesn't necessarily go away and make it less and less and less. But Jesus is saying that's not a good thing. I love pizza. Let's just use pizza as a picture. And food in general. We've been kind of dabbling with this intermittent fasting thing. I'm incredibly thin now, as you can see. Um, do, you, do you know when you do something for one week and you're like, where's the results? And anyway... Um, but I love food. I really do. I love wood fire pizza in particular. Uh, I'm, I know I make good pizza. So for me, I wait for winter season and I make pizza. And I, like, I look forward to that. And, and, I, and I wait. And then generally we're having people around us. And then people are sharing. I'm like, I bring my pizza. And I eat it. And I love the way it comes off. And etc. 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 If I had to look in the Bible and find out in the original Hebrew that, that I wasn't allowed to have that pizza. How many of you know I would have a problem? It'll be tough. It'll be tough for me to give up the thing that I very much love. And you can't sit there and judge, well, well you love pizza. Because I can tell you, you love something else that I may judge you about. Because there's a satanic baker that knows how to cook your flavor. He knows the thing you like. He knows how much butter you love in your food. He knows that you love hot dogs secretly, even though you've read everything, how bad it is for you. You still love hot dogs. Amen. Who loves hot dogs? Just quickly. Awesome. Okay. You can buy ones with all the, all the nitrites and stuff, but it's actually better with the nitrites. It tastes nicer. Um, uh, it's inconvenient to give up these things. How many of you I'm not talking about pizza or food, eh? Pretty obvious. It's not convenient, but if we give it up, we begin to see God's life flood through us. The third thing, and I'll quickly go through these last. How, how long have I been going for? Too long. Five minutes. Okay, I've got four minutes left. Discipleship will cost you everything. Jesus says it. He says, when you go out and build a building, do not make an estimate of what it's going to cost. If you're going to, he uses the story of, are you going to go fight an enemy? You're going to see if your 10,000 troops could stand up to the 20,000. If they don't, you send a delegation of peace to make sure that no one comes and attacks you and kills you. And basically he's saying this, is that it's, when you follow Jesus, it's going to cost you absolutely everything and way more than you can ever imagine. We at this church 
are looking for residents, not just members. I can tell you, there's a place called the gym that loves members. The gym thrives off the people who don't come. Because, I, I mean, even even gym in peak hour, you're going to get 40, 50 people there. Depends what gym you're at. It's not going to be packed. But guaranteed that, because I know how much rent costs even in a place like this. They, those 20, 30 people are not covering the rent for that's needed. There's a whole bunch of people that come to gym once a month, and it's called the, it's just to appease the guilt. We don't want that as followers of Jesus. We don't want people to come in and say, okay, cool, I'm just going to do this quickly, tick the box, go out for a brunch, uh, go crazy, ask for forgiveness tomorrow, then repeat the whole process again. There's a radicalness that God wants to put in our heart, and it costs everything. And I love that Jesus lays it out up front. He says you're going to have to, you may have to turn away from family, you may have to turn different ways. And in first century Jewish culture, them following Jesus meant that they may have to give up their family because what they were following was so radically different to where their family had been for generations and generations. The rich young ruler, once he had done everything, Jesus says, he says, how can I inherit eternal life? And he lists all these incredible things that he's done under the law. And Jesus says, go, now go sell everything and follow me. And it says he went away sad. I would love to believe that he went away sad because he still had to give his stuff away and then he followed Jesus. I think he went away sad because he couldn't give up his wealth. Because straight after that it says it's, it's easier for a, a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle for, than for a rich man to come to the kingdom of God. He, and why he was sad, and do you know what I love about that picture? Jesus didn't run after him. Modern day church runs after that. Are you sure? You feel okay? No. Jesus lays out, this is what it means to follow me. Like it or not, this is where I'm going. Fourth thing. Disciples, you and me, have flavor. We are called, it says, to be salt of the earth. There's something incredible about a person who's given up their rights, who's, who continually lays down their hearts, who, who, who knows that they're living for something better. They have, a, they have a special odor, a good odor that people want to hang out with. That's not, and I think what so often happens is that we as followers of Jesus can oversalt people. How many of you know if you put too much salt on something, that thing is ruined? We are called to be the salt seasoning, as it says in the message, that brings out the God flavors of the earth. If I'd gone the other night and said to my friends, some are pastor guys, I want to tell you that all of you are just the worst sinners I've ever met. Uh, I can't, you're married, what? You talk, and uh, talking about that girl who's at the gym, you know, like, no, that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be the salt seasoning. We're called to bring out the God flavors of the earth. I'm trusting that when, if those guys go through tough moments or if they hit like a real crossroads in their life, they're going to go, oh, Dan's a pastor. One of the guys, he's like, I'm getting married. Can you marry me? It's like, what a privilege. Just, you just want to be, you want to be in, in, in people's lives so you know that you're being a light in their life. Another thing about salt is that it doesn't lose its saltiness. It only loses its saltiness if you dilute it. So if I put this uh, bottle underground full with salt, 200 years' time, hopefully the bottle hasn't disintegrated. If it hasn't disintegrated, there's still salt in this bottle. It's salt is salt. You can't lose salt. But what, where you can lose the flavor of salt is when it's diluted. And that's when you put a salt, like a teaspoon of salt in a bucket, uh, like a kilogram of sugar, you mix it. You're not going to taste that salt at all. And that's the thing. So often as followers of Jesus, we can look and, and feel so much like the world that we do not stand out as his followers. We need to put stuff in place in our lives. We need to, 
we rely obviously on the grace of Jesus. We're only saved by his grace, and I get all of that. But sometimes we need to just say, do you know what? Enough's enough. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the reactions in my life. I want to have brothers and sisters around me who are going to hold me accountable. We're going, to, we're going to do this thing together. It's why we have community. Can I encourage you to get involved in a community group if you're not? Because it's in those places that you get actually to expose who you are. Because you, we're not a massive church, but you can come at the 11 o'clock, sit at the back, and then leave again. Not talk to anyone. Think, well, that's, that's great. Maybe you've had a, a moment with God, but you, you're not exposing yourself to anyone. You're not, people aren't getting into your space. You're not having moments to actually process things inside of your life. We are called to be salt of the earth. Let's follow him with everything. Ted, would you mind coming up if he is here? Oh, there he is. Can we stand to our feet? Everyone is getting baptized. Would you mind going and getting changed? The guys can go upstairs to the guys' toilet. The girls, the far room right at the end, the kids, the, the mom's room. There's no one in there. Make sure the blinds are closed. Otherwise, it might be awkward. They've set up a change room there. So the, all the ladies go to the mom's room right at the end. The guys can go upstairs to the bathroom. And then we're going to do some baptisms. Holy Spirit, we, we submit our hearts to you this morning. We submit our hearts to the word of God that, that changes us, that molds us, that makes us more like you, Father. God, if I could pray a prayer over City Lights, over this 11 o'clock meeting, is that we would become radical followers of you. say, God, I'm willing to put my hand up. Even though I know it may cost me something massive. It may cost me my life. It may cost me my finances. It may cost me everything. But Jesus, I'm willing to forsake all of that for you, Father. The amazing thing that Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, it says, if we seek first the kingdom, and that's what I believe what today was about, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Jesus clearly teaches that he's going to look, if he looks after the animals of this earth, he's going to look after you. But all he's asking is for your first. Thank you, Father. I can I ask if there's anyone here that you felt? You may have been a follower of Jesus, you may not have been, but you've, you know that you haven't put Jesus first. You're feeling something of a conviction. That is a good thing from the Father because it's saying that there's an area that you can now repent of and change. If you know that you need, you need to put Jesus first in every part of your life, can you raise your hand quickly? This is just between you and the Father. It's not a first-time salvation. It's saying, ah, God, I need to make a decision today. Because the Father sees. You can put it up, put it down. If you're too shy, do it anyway. Father, we don't want to be a community that just sings songs like, I surrender all, and then we have a wrestle in the parking lot. That we haven't really surrendered at all. 
Father, I pray just for a radical sense of followership to come over this community. We want to see Acts 2, 42 to 47, where people are giving up property, people laying down their lives for the gospel, and it says many were added to their number. So Holy Spirit, would you just come this morning and empower our hearts? We thank you, Father. The Spirit of God is here. Let's just give him a a moment. I believe he's just working on our hearts. This morning I pray that we'd be a give it all people. We don't want to water down what your word says, Father. You said it requires us all. Thank you, King. Amen.